Welcome to another episode of Potty Train Me. I have to be honest, this episode feels a little bit like thievery to me because on the surface level, you're getting to see that I have like a big name, a highly accomplished journalist slash reporter slash anchor who spent time at ESPN, the LA Rams, Valley Sports, also one of the hardest working people I've met. And I got to witness that firsthand this last NFL season. But above all, she is simply my good friend, Serena Morales. So I'd like to officially welcome you to Potty Train Me. Yay, it's official! <laughs> yeah, we talked about this a little bit a few minutes ago, but I think that Jonathan is going to be more excited than you are about this finally happening. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say you're not even excited. I'm ecstatic, but yes, my boyfriend, Jonathan, shout out to Jonathan, uh, is very excited, loves you dearly, and um, just wants to take you to basketball games moving forward. Hey, that's a deal that I will never shut down. <laughs> you see my hat right here. It's already <laughs> repping basketball. Got like a nice normal shirt on today, but can't ever like have a sportless outfit. Is, is Steph Curry your guy? Because that's Jonathan's guy. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, Who doesn't love Steph Curry? Everyone does. Yeah, no, Everybody. that was just, that was the most beautiful thing to see. That was a when very he started crying at the end, like, I was oh. like, I'm going to cry. We're all allowed to cry. I'm like, when did it become where we weren't allowed to cry when in sports, people cry all the time. Like, it's not like, oh my gosh, LeBron is crying. It's like, yeah, you know, you're tired. You got a lot of emotions and that's what comes out. Like, I don't know if you watched all of the last dance with Michael Jordan and the Bulls, but I thought yeah. the single best footage in that entire 10 episode series is when Michael Jordan had the trophy and he's just on the floor of the locker room crying after he won that fourth title. First one yeah. since his father passed away. Yeah. Last, by the way, great series. If you haven't seen it also winning time, if you're looking for any more basketball, anything, um, great that I cover baseball and football, but I'm like, Ooh, basketball, uh, just wrapped up, but yes, very good. And ap- absolutely. I mean, I'm all for athletes crying. I think it's great. Like, did you, have you been watching Wimbledon because Serena Williams gave us a great show. She lost in the first round, but that woman has more emotion in, in her pinky probably than a country somewhere. That was great. That was the, oh, by the way, the, you're the only Serena better than Serena Williams, but Thank you. <laughs> I was waiting for this haircut and there was just Wimbledon on and it was the Serena Williams harmony tan. Uh, yeah. And I just start casually watching. There's a wait. I'm like, whatever. I got nothing better to do right now. It was and it, there, it was like a 19 minute 40 second game. And I was just the whole time. It was crazy. And it all happened because they called a ball out yeah. that actually hit the line. And I guess you can challenge in tennis now. And she didn't do that. And then it evolved into like 12 deuces. And I'm thinking, you know, the whole time in these last couple of weeks, I've been like, oh, there's no sports that interest me on right now. And I'm like, tennis is underrated. That is so hard. It, it is. It's funny because then after the Williams tan uh, match, Nadal was on the next day and it's just like ace 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 like I actually appreciate the women's game because like they'll just go back and forth for a second and you're like ah who's gonna who's gonna mess up first you know like that's how it works (laughs) but it was like Nadal with just like one serve done and you know I'm like give me some action people like let's go so 
yeah, like I am all for celebrating greatness, but when there's greatness on two sides, that's, that's where you just get roped in. Yeah. Like not, not that like, oh, ugh, just another ace for Nadal, but that's, which is great. But I really enjoy a good back and forth is all I'm saying. <laughs> kind of like this podcast. There's greatness in both boxes here. <laughs> right. No, just, you go ahead. Serve some aces, Greg. Serve some aces. All right. Well, I, here's one for you. So we could talk all about your entire career, but I think what's really interesting to start with is that you think of someone my age, my stage of life, trying to figure out what the hell it is I'm going to do with myself. And there's this idea that you have to have every linear path into an industry, whatever industry it is. And you did not have a very linear path and actually spent some time in London. I learned the story a couple months ago, but I think it should be retold for the purposes of the podcast because it was so intriguing and uh, I had no idea. Yeah. So for anyone that is just graduating college and obviously the world is grim at the moment, but um, when you look at people my age, millennials who graduated in 2008 when the market crashed the last time it crashed, which might happen again soon. So we'll see. Um, either way, yeah, be prepared. Here's, here's a couple options that you can do. One, buy a one-way ticket to London and lie to your family and tell them you have a job. And that's what I did because I graduated in 2008 from Syracuse University, new house. And there is an expectation that when you graduate from a top school like new house, you get a job after school. It's sort of the next thing that you do or an internship or something. And instead there were no jobs available for me. And so I was waitressing on 42nd street, grand central station, for a while after I graduated Syracuse. And I remember uh, the restaurant's called Pershing Square, still there. It's the busiest breakfast in all of New York because tourists and businessmen love to go there for a breakfast. They have either breakfast meetings or tourists go there because they only know this massive restaurant they can get. It's advertised as the busiest restaurant in all of New York. And it sounds like New York right now, even though I'm in LA um, with, the, with the siren going by, but it's so busy. And then they get breakfast and then it's very close to the Chrysler building, the Empire State Building, Central Park. So it's sort of a, I mean, it's 42nd Street. You're right in the middle of it. So a lot of tourists will go there or guys who work on Wall Street or whatever, who come in, take the train in the Metro North and they go and have breakfast before they start the day or lunch. It's insane. Um, so that's where I got a job after school and my family were, was like, I thought you were going to be a reporter or a journalist or producer or something in media. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. So I just started to get really fed up with my life. I had no real options and I applied and it, it's depressing to be quite honest. And I'm sure for many grads, you feel like you're a failure, you know, shit's funky right now. It's just not the best time to be doing things. So I, this is one option. I basically came to the conclusion I had applied for a job. I don't even think I told you this. I applied for a job to teach English in Korea because I just wanted to get out of the country. And, and so I applied, it was for Seoul, Korea to teach English. And my mentor at the time, he's still my mentor, good friend, Harold Tamara. He was like, 
I feel like that's just not the direction that you should be going. I think that, you know, you're better off. I don't know. Why don't you go back to a country that you've been to? Or like, I was thinking, maybe I'll go to Colombia where my family is. And I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe something like that. So I ended up coming up. I was like, why don't you go back to London? You studied abroad in London. Why don't you go there? I was like, yeah, maybe that's a little closer. I don't know what in the world he was thinking. He goes, this is two of like, pick Serena up and put her in other location with job already given to her. And he's like, you're more on the creative side of things. Like you need, you can figure it out for yourself. I don't necessarily know you, you having to teach English is going to be the mo most inspiring thing you could do with your time. So I, I was like, yeah, it's fair. So I was like, well, what am I going to do? Because do I just buy a one-way ticket? He goes, yeah, I mean, you're waitressing in New York, might as well waiter in London and get another cultural experience. So I tell my family, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I think I'm going to move to London or I'm going to travel. And they're like, you're going to travel. You can't even get a job. You're going to travel. Like now's the time to do that. Um, you can see my family's not critical of me at all. And so <laughs> real, real easy on me. Um, so they, so I, they, they were kind of like, well, what are you going to do there? And I was like, I'll figure it out. And they're like, that's a terrible idea. You might as well figure it out in America. And I was like, not the answer I was looking for. So instead I made up my own answer and I Google searched um, London creative production. And I found a, a company called Addiction London and I looked them up and I said, Biggie just peeked back there. And I, I um, my dog, Biggie Smalls, shout out to Biggie Smalls. So I have ADHD apparently too. So I, I Google search London creative production, Addiction London comes up and I'm like, this seems like a cool company. So the next time my family asked me, oh, what are you going to do? I said, oh, I've got a, I've got a job. I got a job at a production company. And they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. It didn't. I just made up the company. And I was just sort of like, leave me alone. I'm going to figure this out for myself. Go away. And they're like, well, we're so excited. You have a job. How did you get this job? And I was like, well, I was, I was an intern in London. Uh, you know, I figured, I don't know. I just made up things. It was a white lie to, for the, my family to just like, back off a little bit and it ended up being a massive lie biggie is not biggie stop it Sorry. no i'm such i'm such a big biggie fan biggie come here come here <laughs> come here you're gonna, come here while you're getting your dog controlled i would just like to say that uh lying to push people away not always the worst thing i've had 20 thousand people ask me what I'm doing with myself and just like two weeks and this one guy was kind of weird and seemingly like hitting on my mom at this little Davis oh, music good. festival That's so good. me and my dad were like all right we got to go deal with this we go mm -hmm. over and this guy is asking me what I'm going to do and I just kind of blew off the question and then he just pushed harder and then I'm finally like okay so I told him I wanted to be the next Elizabeth Holmes start my own company and I was really into fraud and he took it literally and was like, no, you don't want to do that. And I'm, oh my God. so then I just took it farther, of course. Uh, moral of the story, lying is not bad. If you're watching the video version of this, you can see Biggie right there. <laughs> yeah. So she's got a bath today. So, but yes, I just wanted my family to just back off. I knew I'd be okay. I'd figure it out. So I did. And um, I'm glad your mom's okay. And I told them I was going to work at this place. So I buy a one-way ticket. I don't have a plan in real life. They, my family throws me a going away party. 
um, which I still feel guilty to this day because I'm like, oh my gosh, they thought I had this job. Long story, I get to London. I am living in a hostel until I figure out some things. And a friend of mine, American, was out in London and she um, had a visa. I didn't, I had a visitor's visa, which I think lasts like six months or something like that. And um, and I was just like, okay, what, what uh, Allison was out there, giving names away, but my friend was out there and she's like, um, come stay, you know, like, let's, let's stay together until you get sorted. Cause I was sort of like, oh, I'm in London. I want to kind of do my own thing. Um, not being around Americans. So we had shared a room in London until I kind of got sorted and she got a job as a bartender. She wasn't using her visa. And I remember being like, I got to find a bartending job or something. And I just started applying everywhere and everywhere was like, I need a visa. I ended up um, getting desperate and maybe a little tipsy drunk one day on very cheap wine because I had no money because the pound was double the dollar at the time. So I was like down to 1500 bucks, probably less. And I was by myself in London, like absolutely insane. And um, I was like, I should just email Addiction London and see if they're hiring. And and so I did. And I looked up their website and nowhere was there an HR or anything. And I was like, well, that's not there. So I went on Facebook and I found the president of Addiction London, this guy, Jeremy. And I was like, I'll just send him a Facebook message. This is in 2008. This seems logical. So I sent you him. poke him? Was that a thing back I then? I should have, but yeah, it was a thing. Poked like, hey, need your attention real quick. Check your messages. Check the DMs. I'm like, hey, Jeremy, Serena Morales, young reporter, producer from New York City, just graduated from Syracuse. I'm like, he's not going to know any of this stuff. I'll keep it broad. Um, I'm out here traveling. Your company looks like you've done some cool things. Would love to connect while I'm out here. Ta-ta. I send it. It enters the ether. I'm sort of like, whatever. Think nothing of it. I ended up getting a, a, a bartending job at this place called the Tim Bobbin, um, where everyone called me Miss America. I finally figured out I made it. I'm like, well, I've, I'm Miss America in at least another country. And I was a bartender and it was so great. And I made a lot of friends. I lived with um, two other Australians and a, a British guy above a pub that was owned by the Tim Bobbin owner, same owner. It was great. And then one, one day, one magical day, a month later, I get a message back from Jeremy. Serena, this is great to, he great to hear from you. You could be some use to me. I'm trying to start an addiction in London, London in New York. And I'm like, and he goes, you have any contacts? I was like, I got all the contacts. <laughs> you, want con you want contact solution? I've got that too. I don't even work <laughs> like lenses, but we'll figure this out. So he goes, come into my office. So I go down to the office that I made up. This is all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Shout out to Biggie Smalls. No, I was all like, I made this up. I made this company up. And now I'm meeting with the president of the company one random day. And he's like, you know, it, you know, we're trying to, they were trying to create a marketing plan to stop Best Buy from their Best Buy. Like Best Buy was opening up offices or, or like, stores in London and they they had their own electronic store and they were going to do marketing campaign for them. They're like, are you familiar with Best Buy? And I was like, 
hell yeah, that's where I got all of my college, you know, the TV, the alarm clock, the fridge, the whole thing. And so they were like, oh man, well, are you looking for anything? And I was like, I mean, you got any production assistant jobs, which is the job that I lied to my family about. And so he's like, uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. Long story short, I get hired by Addiction London as a production assistant. I'm employee of the month twice. I start their softball team and I move to London only to then um, return back to America uh, because I shouldn't have been working. And, um, and then from there, I became the Nike team reporter or Nike field reporter um, because I sent a really um, unique video to Nike and auditioned for like some internship they had. And that was really the beginning to my career as a reporter. <laughs> okay, knowing you now, none of it surprises me, but that is just some ballsy, scrappy, all around finesse by Miss Serena Morales to do all that. And it turns out you weren't even lying to your family. I manifested you were just it. Delaying yeah. the truth. Right. At at some point I basically was like, this is true. Just didn't happen on the timeline I gave you. But by my understanding, uh, it didn't go without zero consequences with your family. Oh, they were so pissed at me. I mean, long story short, my sister came to visit me from Chicago. I forgot to tell her that I wasn't, you know, on the books working. She gets there at a Heathrow Terminal 5 and um, they sent her away because she basically outed me telling uh, the British government that I was working. And I was like, well, I'm not really working. And she's like, oh, I didn't know. And I was like, oh, crap. So they sent her home. And uh, I, <laughs> I left shortly after. I never got to play on the softball team for addiction. <laughs> That's okay. You, you started it though, so. I did start it. Our first game was the day that she came to visit. <laughs> Oh, and, then, and then addiction threw a going away party for me back to America. Oh, my family hated me. It was great. You got two this, going like, away parties. I did. Someone needed to get rid of me. They're still trying to get rid of me, Greg. Oh, my goodness. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. No. So, you know, you go to Nike. Then <laughs> next thing we know, you're at some place called, hold on, checking my notes, ESPN. Uh, <laughs> whatever that is. Talk about getting your foot in the door there and then hosting freaking SportsCenter. Yeah, the, 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 I know that the, that Robert Frost poem, the, the Road Less Traveled, doesn't necessarily mean like to take like this weird path on things, but I'll use it out of context. Um, I did not do anything traditional at all, I, but I wanted to be a reporter and I was so focused on that not like like just be in media and and it's what's hilarious greg like if you go back to five-year-old serena morales i was so scared to speak in public i was scared to speak to my family i would whisper to my sister christina if they were like hey are you hungry what do you want to eat and i'd be like oh i gotta talk and i would look and, and whisper to her i want pizza and she'd be like she wants pizza. And they're like, why can't she use, why can't she talk to us? And I'd be like mortified. I'd be so scared to talk. Years later, I find out I'm dyslexic, which is part of the reason I'd be scared to read out loud. Um, I found out that I was dyslexic 
while I was hosting Sports Center, that's also a nightmare of a thing to experience. Um, and I only learned that I, sh- I was dyslexic because Mark Schlereth, a uh, former NFL player, uh, NFL uh, analyst for Fox, calls games for Fox now, he was describing dyslexia to us on the morning show on Sports Center AM. And I was like, that sounds like what I experience when I look at words. And I asked him later, I'm like, can you talk about dyslexia more? And what do I need to do in order to like figure out if I have that? And he goes, wait a minute, hold on a second. Like I had no idea. I just thought I was stupid. Um, But to your question, I got, I was a Nike. um, I basically became the night, a Nike intern, glorified intern. And I got to interview Serena Williams and LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony. It was such a cool experience, but because it was sort of the first time you saw a brand use a person as like to rep them in a way it sort of blurred the lines back then even more because that wasn't a thing back then. So I couldn't get jobs. Like I applied to news channel 12, the Bronx, which is like the local TV network in the Bronx. I'm from the Bronx. I went to public school in the Bronx. My mom was a public school teacher in the Bronx. My dad worked for the projects in the Bronx. I played sports. I was a top athlete. There wasn't a more perfect person to hire from Newhouse to come and and do this job. And they said no, because they didn't like my Nike reporting, which I get it. It was branded, but they're like this this is weird. I'm like, well, no one else has hired me yet. So I'm waiting for that opportunity to happen. But I have the, and my buddy, Joe Masiri, who works for PIX11 in New York still, he was the one that recommended me for the job. So he'd gone to school with me. He was like, you can do the job. And I was like, I just kept getting rejected for media jobs. So I went from there to, um, I, I got a job as a floater, they call them, but it's basically a glorified assistant that fills in four assistants at a Uh, investment bank at Rothschild. And I worked in Midtown, back back to Midtown again, on 51st Street. And I worked at an investment bank for like a year and a half, two years. All the while, I started training for the New York City Marathon. I got bored. Um, I just sort of, I, I picked up a job at Verizon where I was, again, doing high school basketball games. And again, the producer at the high school basketball game was like, I had asked, I mean, high school kids are so nervous around reporters. This is the first time they're on camera being interviewed. I understand how awkward that is, especially because I didn't want to be on camera years ago. I was so scared. And so I try and like loosen people up. You've seen me do my work. And so I'm like, man, you you know, MVP of this game. Like, what'd you eat this morning? Wheaties? Like, I just made a joke. Like, let's like loosen them up. The girl was like freaking out. And the producer did not like my style of reporting. And so there I was back into the abyss trying to figure out where I was going to. And this was just part time. I would leave the investment bank, do the job and then rush to Long Island to cover uh, a game for like 15 bucks. You know, it was just awful. So I was like, I started my own blog at the investment bank. I really was trying to figure things out. I ended up getting a job at True TV and I ended up working as an assistant, but I talked my way into working on the show Impractical Jokers. And I would, after they would finish their shows, I would do an interview with the Jokers and, um, 
and like answer social media questions like that they had. And that was like the first time that people did that. So I worked on that for a year and then I really found no growth at True TV for myself. So I took a job at National Geographic, which I thought, this is the end of my sports career. This is absolutely the end. But the guy that hired me worked at True TV, who's a huge Yankee fan. He knew I wanted to be on camera. And he said these three things to me. He goes, I realized that this is, and also it was a part-time job. It was for six months confirmed. But he said, if I can make this job work for you, which was to manage their social media account, Nat Geo Wild's social media account specifically, if you can prove that, that this job is needed, I will go to the bosses and go, look what we've done with this account. It's grown so much. We need to keep her. So that was sort of, I was like, I can, I have some, I can put a bet on myself there. So like, again, all up until I'm just living sort of like, what am I doing next? How do I get a job? I'm still trying to hustle. I'm getting into like my late twenties and I'm freaking out that I haven't figured out my life yet. And my buddy, Adam Lefko, who you, you may know, hosts TNT on Tuesdays during the NBA season, uh, Bleacher Report, very well-known, very achieved, uh, accomplished reporter and host. He went to Syracuse with me, classmate of mine. And I was like, Adam, should I take this National Geographic job? Like, this is going to be the end. At the time, I had an offer from CNN to work on their morning show. And he goes, take the Nat Geo job. It's in social media. And in my position right now, I wish I knew more about social media and how to promote the things that I'm doing. It's the way forward. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. And again, not a full-time job. CNN seemed a little more secure, but I was like, let's go to Washington, D.C. So there I move once again. Now I've moved from London, New York. I went a lot to Oregon for Nike, back to New York. Now I'm in D.C. And I had the best time at National Geographic. Oh, yes. And my boss who hired me said, I know you want to be on camera. So what you're going to do for this job, if you want to be on camera and it works, do it but you're creative. I want you to have fun and be creative. And I know you're a big sports fan. So if you can figure out how to integrate sports into National Geographic, go for it. And that was the foundation to everything else that now I'm doing. It's why I got to ESPN because I was basically pat myself on the shoulder. I killed it at so on, on National Geographic. I was tweeting at the Chicago Bears like, yo, you guys are playing poorly right now. We got real bears on Nat Geo Wild. And I would tweet these like ridiculous things that got so much engagement. I put up animal butts on Tuesdays on Nat Geo, like Tush Tuesday. And people found it hilarious. I grew their social media, their Facebook page from 300,000 followers to 6 million in one year. No paid, no promotion, no nothing. Just me thinking of crazy ideas and applying it and promoting the shows, like the, the ratings went up. I mean, it was such a fun time. And the head of SportsCenter at the time, Rob King, he, they were going to start, uh, they were going to launch SportsCenter AM at some point, but he took over SportsCenter and he found my content and the things I did. I posted one video for Net Geo Wild on YouTube. It had eight views. My mom was seven and Rob King was eight. Like it wasn't even anything crazy. And, but he looked me up on LinkedIn and found me. And I had 
met with people at ESPN in the past, but it was more at like an NHJ convention, like, hello, I am aggressively coming up to you because I want a job. I had applied for a PA position and was accepted and then turned it down because I was like, this might be not the path for me. And they weren't paying me enough as a kid from the Bronx to survive ESPN in Bristol, Connecticut. However, moving forward, ESPN was like, we could figure out a, a use for you. So I leave National Geographic and go to ESPN. And that's sort of the beginning of everything else where, yes, I learned that I was dyslexic hosting SportsCenter. Um, and then from there, I became the Rams team reporter, which is where I met you. And now I'm at Valley. Makes no sense. But the moral of the story, if you are focused on something, somehow, some way, it may work out for you. <laughs> Dude, that is incredible. I didn't even know the extent to all of the National Geographic stuff, taking the job. Do you take it? You could also go to CNN. Is it the end of your sports career? Growing the social media page to six million in a year? Like, what? And I mean, okay, so here are my takeaways from all that. Number <laughs> one, when I get bored, training for a marathon is not what I resort to. So good for you for that one. Um, number two, for our listeners, if you are wondering, oh, and she found out she was dyslexic, what did she do about it? Well, I found out that you were dyslexic when we were working on a teleprompter app, writing your script for a Rams social media roundup at training camp. So uh, I guess, you know, you kept the social media part of your previous jobs going, but as for handling the dyslexia, you're like, ah, I'm just going to, you know, push through. Mm -hmm. I thought that was ridiculous. Uh, mm -hmm. Number three, I've noticed that in the story, while there's a, you know, very clear lack of consistency and fluidity into this path, the one thing that I can see as this common denominator is you kept being like, oh, yeah, and then my buddy so-and-so. You have a lot of friends, which <laughs> I guess, you know, goes to show that networking is truly, truly a valuable skill. But yeah, I mean, my goodness, that's, it's crazy. And then you end up on ESPN in like the most unlikely path, but it happens. It and happens. then, you know, I guess the question that I want to ask following this already wild story is, <laughs> You have talked about how you like sports. You grew up a big Yankees fan in the Bronx, but you end up taking your next job all the way across the country, opposite coast, opposite <laughs> culture into football. Was football something that you were always narrowed in on or was this just kind of the case of like opportunity that came up that was really good? Yeah, I, if, if you were to put like, why Serena went into sports reporting, it was so I could be the Meredith Morakovitz of the like of the Yankees. Like I just was gonna, I wanted to be Susan Waldman. Like I wanna just cover the Yankees. And that's my little small minuscule like view on sports. I was like, just cover baseball and maybe just be in the Bronx forever. And then, um, so football was not on my radar at all. Like Sundays were, you know, sometimes I got to watch a football game, but it wasn't regularly didn't grow up with it as much as baseball and basketball and loved college basketball. It's one of the reasons I went to Syracuse. Um, football is not on the radar. All that to be said, it's hilarious that I took the job with the Rams. And I even said, I'm like, this is not my, my strong point. And they're like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll figure it out. And now I feel 
Like I, I am covering baseball for Bally. I'm covering boxing for Bally. I'm covering the NFL for Bally. The main reason they hired me and even like posting baseball stuff, DeMarco Farr, a former uh, defensive lineman for the Rams was like, girl, you on a gridiron. You don't do this baseball thing. Like well, you, that's not your thing. And like, I just completely, I love football. I am obsessed with this game. Like I could watch any game anywhere and be extremely excited. I love um, the, the guys who play the, the, the game. I love the coaches. I think it's fascinating. There's things that I obviously can't stand about the league, but as far as, you know, the Wade Phillips of the world and the Sean McBays and the random, you know, DB coach and, you know, what a running back, you know, looks like and their space versus a wide receiver and why Cooper Cup plays so well and, you know, just all of it, the Tyler Higbees of the world, the Aaron Donalds. I love it. I love the Patrick Mahomes. We both love Justin Herbert more than anyone else realizes. This man is going to get MVP this season. Now that the Chargers have beefed up their defense to put the ball in his hand more. Um, yeah, it's really exciting. I have, and we together, because I hired you to help me uh, with a football show that I had never even, like, I'm still learning. I feel like you witnessed, you know, I gave you the backstory. I'm constantly still learning. I've never covered boxing. I'm, I'm fully involved in boxing now. Um, I never worked in gambling before, and now I host a betting show with you. So for me, the, the, the other thing is that I know my weaknesses. I know that I'm not capable of things and I need help. And I thankfully had you to help me during football season so that I could work all these insane hours, but you were able to give me like information that I needed and I could word it into things that okay, I'm going to use this information here. I'm going to use this information here, which to me is part of being a reporter. Like where's the best place to get information from that's factually correct and build opinion or build, you know, a storyline around it. So yeah, I love football now. And it sort of just came to me because Jerry Madelon, another guy who worked in the industry, worked at ESPN as a talent uh, coach, uh, head of the talent office, or one of the top guys in the talent office, he recommended me for the Rams team reporter job. So that's that's it that's how it all ended up knowing people knowing people and then you spent four plus years absolutely killing the game got an nfc championship <laughs> uh and then you were you know you were technically part of this super bowl run season too so <laughs> you guys go to the victory party i hope i see a ring uh no we're wait i gotta i just i'll just send a text to mcveigh no big deal no big yeah. deal yeah, I do, I do have an NFC championship uh, ring. I have a ring to show. I just don't have a Super Bowl ring. But I was at the Super Bowl, and that was really cool. And I saw, I made eye contact with Van Jefferson when he was running out of the locker room after celebrating winning a Super Bowl to go to his pregnant uh, lady and make sure, because he was having a baby. She was giving birth during the Super Bowl, which is insane. And he just looked at me wide-eyed like, I, what is happening? And I was like, hey, congrats. But I had no idea until I figured it out. I'm like, oh my God, he's going because his, his wife is giving birth. You know, the only interaction I ever had with Van Jefferson was walking by him in the parking lot at the hotel by Newport Beach and kind of just like gave him a little smile. And then he kind of just like did one of these little like nods at me, you know, yeah. seemed very friendly, very quiet. Great dude. So to see that video of him 
talking to his kids after the oh, Super yeah. Bowl when they're on the field. And he's just like calmly but anxiously being like, yeah, we got to go to the hospital we right now. Go. I just won the Super Bowl and just rushing out. I found that hilarious. But uh, Van Jefferson's a fun one to watch. I'm glad that he was someone that at least got to stick on the Rams at the beginning because, you know, NFL, not for long. You never know what can happen to some of these people getting moved around. I mean, even Robert Woods, who was a staple, is oh, now off the team. So he's in the Titans. Yep. And Van Jefferson, son of a wide receivers coach, who his father is the wide receivers coach in Arizona. So he does get to see his Papa Dukes twice a year, which is always fun. Yeah. And then three times a year if you count the playoffs. You're right. Yes. I'm just, I'm Xing them out. <laughs> I shouldn't do that yet. <laughs> well, that was basically not a playoff game anyway. Like right. of all the first round playoff games, that one. I say even counted less than like Bucks Eagles. There, the Cardinals are just so confusing of a team. Like I don't, I you're like wow. I mean, they had such a run this year, and then it completely just. I was like, weren't you guys? What happened? What happened? Yeah, it's like I don't know. They forgot to throw the ball. I don't know. It's very. It odd. was. It was weird. It also seems like as talented as Kyler Murray is, you know, the second. And I kept telling you this when I would fill out that doc when we were you know talking yep. about the spreads and I was like yep. the second Kyler Murray gets anything short of a hundred percent it seems like there's a really severe drop off and when he's himself uh <laughs> top 10 quarterback in the league if we're just going off of pure talent and threat maybe even top five at times but you know that drop off happens quick and uh I'm curious to see if the Cardinals are going to be good this year if they're going to start hot and collapse again if they're going to not start hot at all um but you know actually going back to the rams i feel like the one story that i'd want to share on the show from time at the rams was just a really interesting one and i know you are friends with uh one of the best cornerbacks in the game jalen ramsey but just so every day at the end of practice we had the rams camp live show was always a great time setting up for that. Fans would gather around the fence, hear what these players had to say. We had the speaker system all set mm -hmm. up, ready to go. Uh, great times there with Jory and Rudy and Adam and Ricky Shout and all those, those guys. guys. Yeah. yeah, so fun. And Jalen Ramsey was one of the earlier shows. And uh -huh. um, as amazing of a player as he is, he just did not want to participate in the interview that day and it was no, he did not. hard to hear and I felt for you and JB and DeMarco up there trying to ask him questions and draw him out but what was that kind of experience like for you as a reporter and journalist like I'm sure it's not the only time you've had difficulty with reaching some of these players but it's different when you're for a network uh, as opposed to being for the team where you have more deep relationships with these yeah. people and uh you want to be on good terms you want to have trust and friendliness and all that yeah uh jalen's um tough he's he's so smart he's i mean you know at times you're he's like too smart you know because he can understand all the reasons why we need to talk to him like he understands the structures of and purpose of things and so i think he fights that i think you know there's probably been a, a handful of times where a reporter has misused uh, his trust, you know, where he's now a little more guarded. So, you know, in times where, you know, 
uh, Jalen is difficult. I think anyone who wants to be a reporter, you have to think about, okay, I'm big on if, if someone is giving me, you got to read their body language. You got to know. I mean, he came up to us and was like, oh, I don't want to do this. And I was like, come on, Jalen. Like I said it before the cameras were rolling. I think you saw, I was like, dude, it's just us. And he goes, I hate, I, I don't like the media. He's not, he's not a fan of the media. And I was like, I know, but this is, this is for the team. Like it's me. It's not, you know, another network or someone that's trying to do harm on you. And so, but I think he's, you know, he's just tired of a- answering the same sorts of questions and things like that. So I asked him about his family. You want to talk? Let's, let's talk about what works for you. And that's not always going to be the case every time, because obviously we all need information and what do you think of your team and things like that. But most of the time I find if you can get someone to not talk about themselves, but talk about their teammates and their family, if you're looking for the football or whatever sport you're covering that angle, like if I'm like, Jalen, what do you think about a guy like Cooper cup? who You probably have to cover a handful of times. Now, if he's had a bad day in practice and he's going against Cooper cup, maybe that question is not as easy to answer, but when it's especially your teammate, you're going to talk well about them you're not going to want to or if you ask about your fellow db you know or the db's coach or how things are working out on defense what's it like you know knowing that ad is on the line like how does that change your game if you get them to talk about their teammates especially in a team sport you usually are going to get some wins there and you know i know how family oriented jalen is so you think of family you might think of your blood or your kids, he has uh, daughters, or you can think about, bless you, or you can think about um, your family when it comes to who are your teammates. That's always been my success. Sometimes you can warm them up there and get into whatever questions else you need or focus on that because if they're giving you something, maybe you'll uncover something that you weren't necessarily expecting to get. And that's always how I roll. Like I might have a couple questions set up and planned, but if then they're giving you things that I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. I might change the direction of an interview because I'm listening to something that is, I always, this always drives me crazy. Some reporters will do this and it, it really, it, it, I always have notes because I'm someone that I'm hearing things. And so if I'm like, oh man, that's a good question. And I'll do a follow-up. I don't want to lose what I did have planned because someone needs that information as a reporter, I might need to give that to them. But, you know, perfect example, I've seen interviews where this is an exaggerated uh, example, made up example, say I'm interviewing, uh, say I'm interviewing Jalen Ramsey, and I'm like, or someone else is interviewing Jalen Ramsey, and they're like, oh, uh, Jalen, how do you get ready for games every Sunday? Well, first off, I, you know, I wake up, I drink some coffee, I do 10 push-ups, I skin a cat, I go and shower. I, you know, make sure I kiss my daughters on the head. I say goodbye to them. And then I listen to music that hypes me up before the game. Right. And then they keep going and then they go, okay, well, what are you looking forward to this matchup? And they completely miss the fact that he said, I skin a cat. Like what, what, sorry, excuse me. Did you, can we just go back a second? Did you say skin a cat? Like people miss like really powerful and interesting nuggets that I, when you watch, you're like, ah, and I, Hey, I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes where I'm like, Oh, I had an opportunity to 
ask a follow-up and I didn't. So it's not to say that I'm not guilty of this, but this is where, again, if you see someone not giving you information, you can either change it up or start with something, you know, based on their personality. And I'm giving this, like, sometimes it's family and sometimes it's asking about a teammate or, or someone that you can observe on the field. Like, Oh, these two are, they were fun. They were having fun. They were joking around. Ask him about that because maybe he'll be more in tune to or inclined to answer a question better than let me just ask you about some numbers on a sheet of paper that I have. That's really interesting. I feel like something you've told me a lot, which you can never really see from my perspective or anyone on the outside, but because you feel like you got started on this game late, you're always sort of playing catch up. And the way you make up for that is just working harder than everybody else. I do see the insane work ethic. I don't see any sort of sense of being behind, but I think maybe the way that has served you well is that your attention to detail on some sort of things has gotten kind of insane. I remember walking around with you at the field and you'd be like, Hey, you notice who's missing from practice today? And I'd be like, no. Uh, another one is you asked Ernest Jones at rookie pressers, why he scrubbed his whole Instagram. And I was like, wow, that is really interesting that you would just go find his Instagram page. Be like, Oh, that's interesting. No more posts, new chapter. So things like that are always really fun to see. Okay, we're going to hold it right there. And that will conclude part one of this Serena Morales marathon. We hope you have enjoyed her very unorthodox story of how she got into sports reporting and journalism. Much more to come in part two. Just one, two, three, two, three, two, three, two.